You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekha Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch here with Shekha Raman and Gary Hawkins. Gary, how are you doing? Great. Thanks, Shaker. How about you today? Terrific. Terrific. You know, we've been having a great lineup of guests and uh, we continue for today. And, and folks, you know, as you guys know, this podcast is all about you and supporting uh, your uh, outlook and perspectives and bringing retail, uh, retail trends to light here. And we're going to continue the conversation today. Thanks for your support. And today we have a very special guest, somebody who's got very, very deep experience across multiple retail verticals, has been a C-suite uh, you know, executive um, in the IT field from fashion, footwear to, to, to supermarket retail so it's, and manufacturing. So I think we're gonna have a fascinating conversation. I wanna welcome Annette Frank here to the retail part. Annette, how are you doing? Good. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Terrific. Terrific. Gary, do you want to uh, welcome our guest here and kick this off? Sure. So uh, Annette, again, thank you for uh, being with us here today. Uh, why, why don't you take a couple minutes and introduce yourself and, and give our listeners uh, some of your background and so they understand your perspective. Yes, thank you. I'm Annette Frankie, and I most recently was with the Kroger Company as vice president, both of our global talent strategy in the Kroger Technology and Digital Organization. I was also the chief operating officer of Sunrise Technology, which was an internal startup at Kroger, an internal commercialization engine for the technology that we had created in our R&D organization. And prior to Kroger, I had roles at LexisNexis, um, at Johnson Johnson, and at the Condendo Surgery as a global IT leader, and with the Women's Footwear Manufacturing Organization. And prior to that, my very first role was at Deloitte um, as a management consultant in information technology. Wow, that's uh, uh, that is quite the experience from from shoes to apparel to manufacturing to medical to grocery. Right. You, you, you saved the best for last. Right. I did. I actually think retail, retail was like the culmination of all of that experience coming together and figuring out how to take everything I've learned and, and face towards the customer to figure out how to make their experience what they want it to be. So, you know, maybe to just jump right in here, you know, as I talk to retailers, wholesalers, et cetera, across the industry, uh, as a matter of fact, I was just speaking with uh, uh, Doug at FMI yesterday. It seems to be a lot of growing concern around supply chain uh, issues, product availability, and so on. And, you know, it appears there's, there's, it's not just a demand problem, you know, consumers beginning to hoard certain items because they're afraid that they won't be able to get them. But, you know, I, I think we've got labor challenges and shortages in different areas. We've got, of course, the international supply chain uh, getting all mixed up because of the pandemic and so on. But uh, just love your, your sort of thoughts around what you see happening there. And, you know, is it ever going to get straightened out? That's a big question. Is it ever? I do think that the, the global supply chain has been significantly interrupted because of COVID. And, you know, part of that 
we might have been able to see coming because it was already challenged from a kind of a availability of raw materials and components, whether you're talking about manufacturing food or you're talking about, you know, manufacturing electronics and computer hardware. So, you know, there's been a supply chain scarcity issue of certain raw materials for quite some time. And when I was at Kroger and Sunrise as the COO, we felt it significantly, especially from a chip perspective, because our product that we were commercializing required those kinds of electronic components. Um, in the grocery world, you know, in stock is hard enough. It's hard enough to keep your shelf stocked on a daily basis when, when supply is abundant. It becomes increasingly more difficult when supplies is scarce. Supply is scarce, and it's it's not just you know it's not just the scarcity of the product itself. But to your point, it is the labor to actually then get it on the truck to ship it to the location, and then off the truck and on the shelf. And if you spend time in grocery stores, which all of your audience probably does on a regular basis you know that that, that in-stock challenge is a daily battle for retail operations. And I think that once COVID, if COVID ever actually gets resolved as a kind of a global challenge, we'll have some regularity of product availability back and the hoarding might stop. But I think the labor challenge will continue for a while. And I think that the raw material availability challenge will continue as well because of so many other causes of scarcity. You know, I guess from what I'm hearing, certainly in uh, almost starting at retail, moving back, uh, you know, at store level, every retailer I talk to is having beyond just moderate challenges. It's entering into severe challenges with getting enough staff, enough people mm -hmm. in the store to maintain store operations. Yeah. Uh, you know, and where that is showing up is a lot of empty slots on the shelf. The product may or may not be in the back room. They simply don't have the hours and the, the resources to get it on the shelf. And then it backs up into distribution. And a lot of the wholesalers I speak with and the bigger retailers that self-distribute, you know, similar challenges there. So yeah. it's- No, it, I, I hear the exact same thing and sitting on the FMI CIO council and, and we just had a conversation this morning for our monthly call that can supply chain was one of the big topics of the day, even today with all of the CIOs. Yeah. I guess, I guess the challenge also, uh, and it is, how to have a elastic solution, right? Something that is not uh, over-engineered for the one-time, you know, freak event, but something that can scale up and down. You know, with, uh, otherwise, it can be a burden and operational cost. I can imagine, right? If you're, if you have a very rigid solution that only is built for the extreme cases. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think that the challenge is. So, if you go back to 2020 when we first started with the COVID pandemic, no one had the kind of data that would express in their, in their, in their worlds the actions that happened by the consumer. No one could have prepared themselves for the kind of behavior that was seen by the consumers, whether it was for toilet paper or hand sanitizer or Clorox. 
And that, and that did go all the way back to the manufacturers. There was no forecast in the world that was gonna give you the data to prepare for an elastic solution in response to that activity. Now we have data, right? We have a year plus worth of data and we should be able to have models and do the kind of modeling that we need to in uh, retail operations and operations research to understand how do I plan for that elastic response that I need to that extreme condition that can be sudden? Because this was pretty sudden. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. certainly a piece of that. And Shaker, I don't know if you're seeing this uh, you know, across any of the retailers that Birdseye works with, but, you know, I, I think many retailers have tried to rationalize their product assortment, and maybe instead of having 50 different skews of mustard on the shelf, trying to rationally bring that down to better manage uh, inventory, better manage supply chain activity, and so on. Yeah, and that's certainly one approach, right? That is an approach yeah. to kind of simplify the challenge, but it doesn't eliminate it. And it also doesn't make the customer happy. Yeah, and especially if they've been used to the variety of choices, right? And yeah, you're now correct. Yeah. I can see that happening gradually over time. And I'm wondering if, if you know consumer expectation has changed because of uh, lack of availability of product in the store, where they've kind of gotten used to having fewer items on the shelf, possibly. And maybe that's, that's, I don't know if that's an opportunity for retailers to then look at their inventory and say, hey, this is a good time for me to shape how I do these things because it's simply not viable to meet customer demand in extreme situations. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to look at the whole, the entirety, because I do think that customers will be understanding and tolerant for that emergency period of time then I think they're going to expect to have choice again. And, and so then you have another problem is how do you move those products in and out of your um, stores and off your shelf plans? And, and I mean, it's, it's all very challenging because as you're trying to keep your customer happy, but yet keep your stores operating and that balance, I mean, even having you know, the order online pickup and store variety across the myriad of retailers that now provide that service, just having those in-store pickers in the aisle continues to be a frustration for shoppers, right? Yes. right? I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, I hear about it from people. They get frustrated. Yeah, challenging. I mean, I think one of the things we noticed, Gary, is that uh, during the pandemic, I think a lot of retailers noticed this, which is the number of shoppers dropped but the basket sizes increased because it was a consolidation of your yeah. shopping habits right if you were going to three stores or four stores prior to do all your grocery you now during the pandemic you focused on trying to finish as much as possible in a single store so the number of shoppers that were shopping dropped but of course the basket sizes skyrocketed and i'm wondering if that actually gives retailers more data to understand a, a customer in totality, to better, you know, service them going forward, right? Because it's, it's never happened. I mean, here's a, here's a situation where suddenly, you know, I used to maybe have 10,000 shoppers. I only have 8,000, but they're buying way more than my 10,000 ever did as a combined total. But I know so much more about the 8,000 than I ever did before. Right. And I'm wondering if that's an opportunity for retailers to really look at that and say, hey, this is a this is a way for me to 
uh, retain these people better, right? And I can service them by, you know, and I don't know how that flows back into supply chain and logistics and what you keep in inventory, but I think it's an interesting exercise for retailers to do. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Gary. So I was just going to ask, and obviously without giving away any, uh, you know, proprietary information, but curious how a company like Kroger, you know, and, and specifically through 4851 uh, sort of viewed the change in behavior and to Shaker's point, you know, the change in data available uh, as we move through the pandemic over the last 18 months or so, and whether it's Kroger or, you know, some of the other more data savvy retailers. Yeah, I think, I think retailers in general did actually learn more about their customers. And it's interesting because one of the, one of the topics that I think is really interesting is this whole kind of a customer facing strategy and how do you get to know your customer better and more intimately and understand more about them than just what you know about them from what they're doing with you as a retailer, but what they're doing in general and where there are opportunities for you as a retailer to gain share of wallet by, you know, enticing them to come spend that portion of their wallet that they're spending outside of your outside of your company. And, you know, it, it is, I think retailers have a lot more data to understand and to see that behavior of when they were doing buy online pickup store, coming in to shop in store once stores actually let people come back in with masks and what did that look like? Um, and then now a year and a half later, what does it look like today? The other thing though, is that, you know, how do you define customer? And this gets down to, you know, kind of the loyalty programs that you talked about. And for Kroger, you know, customer insights, loyalty, and all the things that they do um, from a data analytics perspective happens at 8451. Other companies have internal operations research organizations or data analytics teams that do that kind of work in-house. Um, but it all depends on how you define the customer because if you only see the customer as a household, and not as an individual, you know, then, then what do I really know about you, Gary? Yeah. That isn't, I mean, is it really you or is it another person in your house? And, and that can be, you know, how granularly you define your customer is how much better and refined your insights will be about them as an individual. And so that is something that when you think about your, your viewers and you think about startups and people who are innovating and looking to disrupt, uh, there are so many startups out there trying to get to know that individual as an individual and maybe even better than some of the retailers might at a household level. Yeah, I, I think that's a great call out because, you know, as you look across the industry, uh, at least here in the U.S., the, the vast majority, if not nearly all the retailers of any size with any kind of loyalty program are operating at a household level. They don't have that individual level data. And yet, I think your call out is, is uh, dead on that they really need to get to the individual to understand that individual and certainly the household behind them. But, you know, this is all about relevancy to the individual. That's right. Because, I mean, my daughter, you know, when she was in school, she would use my loyalty number. Our alternate ID was our home phone number, you know, blah, blah, blah. We were a, an entire unit. And, and so when you look at, 
the app, the shopping app that we use, if we're making a list, you know, I can look on there and go, oh, my husband, you know, he bought, he bought candy or he bought this or that, that I know I didn't put in my basket, but I see it and it's his, and it's, it's just accumulation of yeah. our buying habits together. And it, it becomes even more important. And, you know, this was a challenge uh, right before I left Kroger in 2020, as you know, as California was implementing its privacy laws, and you're really that law pertains to the individual, and yeah. and the exercise that has to the companies have to go through to be compliant with that legislation and really be able to at an individual level. I want you to turn my data off. I want to pick that you know I, you're not selling my data. Well, you can't do that at the household because somebody else in the household might want the benefit that comes along right. with being a part of the loyalty program, whether, you know, it's, you know, uh, Coles bucks or, you know, gas cents off of gas, yeah. whatever the benefit might be. And I, I think it's a, it's a really good area that is ripe for disruption, yeah. really getting to the individual. Right. Fascinating. So when you define, so whatever metric you use to define the customer, let's say it's down to the individual. Uh, what is, uh, what have you seen in terms of changes that have to happen within an organization to really focus the company towards uh, understanding customer centricity, right? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing this is, a, this has to be a top-down thing, right? Where the, the right to support the entire effort and then it's trickling down to your marketing and your everyday messaging and the way you go about doing business how have Correct. you seen that happen and what's an effective way for retailers to think about it well i think so i think that one of the enablers is the digital transformation so as companies including kroger you know walmart target go down the list as they have gone through digital transformation um, over the last 10 years, they have uh, created a platform within their technology environments to actually engage with an individual, you know, down to the device they're on. So, you know, you walk in the store, if you have um, any kind of instrumentation in the store that is done to know where the customer is and what shelf they're lingering at. If you're using um, vision systems, whatever that might be, you have an ability to get to know that person. But at the end of the day, if that person is not still seen as the individual and it rolls up to the household, that's where it gets lost. And I think that the transformation that has to happen inside of the, the company is that, is it worth the investment that it will take to transform the data and the platform to get to that individual definition of customer? Um, or is it still okay to just look at it as household? And I do, it starts top, top down and it isn't cheap to do. You know, especially if you didn't start that way. If you're a new online retailer, you started at the individual. You don't have this problem, right? But if you started in a traditional brick and mortar in-store shopping environment and, you know, with the, the individual attributes that were used to define your account, it's a different kind of transformation. And it's not, 
inexpensive to do. It's got, you've got to be committed to wanting to know the individual oh, and yeah. competing, you know, with the online retailers that do. Yes. Because they know us each by our email. They don't know us by a household, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about that all the time, right? Here, Gary, which is, you know, obviously digital, what I call digital native retailers, right? Right. Are starting off at a completely different starting point because they're already familiar with the importance of collecting data, identifying the individual. A lot of the habits that brick and mortar retailers need to now inculcate, these guys are already starting off with. And, and, uh, and so from a digital perspective, they are at a clear advantage and there's a catch-up game that has to be uh, played here. But the point number two to what you're saying is in terms of the top-down thing, what kind of persistence is required? Because I, I see some retailers who, who try to start up with loyalty and, you know, trying to do personalization. And, you know, maybe they, they stick with it for two years. They don't necessarily see everything that they, the magical transformation they expect to see. But I'm guessing some of these things take some time to really set into your organization and become part of your DNA. Yeah, and it does take time and it takes it takes a, a concerted effort actually to make it a priority. It has to be, you know, even when I worked in medical device manufacturing, our focus, our mission was, and I and I I'll, I can say it, I haven't been in that industry in a long time, but our mission was to transform patient care through innovation. It was all about the patient, the patient, the patient, even though the patient was never our revenue customer we sold to hospitals we sold to cardinal health to all of the big di distributors um and and getting to know the patient only could happen we had no line of sight or visibility through to the use of the device right unless we went after that data set through third parties that could provide it and but it was always about the patient first um, at Kroger, it was always about the customer first. Rodney McMullen started the customer first strategy, you know, 11, 12, 13 years ago. And it has continued to be the core of Kroger strategy. I think most of the other grocery retailers are have some similar kind of customer-centric mission or vision for their customers. But I mean, yeah, for their organizations. But you have to... You have to actually model then the behavior that supports that vision because yep. the organization is watching. And if they see a disconnect between the actions that are being taken versus what's being said, they won't buy into it. And you have to have the entire organization driving towards, you know, what does the customer want? Yeah, I always give Kroger a lot of credit for that focus. And really that goes back even to Dave Dillon, right? right? You know, uh, uh, doing that deal with uh, Dunhumby way back when in, in developing that focus. And so many other retailers, again, of any size, national down to the independent, it's more of an add-on incremental thing. They, they always pay lip service to the customer, but when you really peel the covers back and understand where they're spending time and resources and so on, it quite often isn't. And I, I think one of the traps I'm seeing a lot of retailers fall into today is, you know, there's a lot of technology out there. There's a lot of capabilities out there. There's a lot of personalization solutions, for example, out there around marketing. 
And it's you know, relatively easy for a retailer, again, almost of any size now, to plug in some kind of personalization solution and say, oh, I'm customer first, right? I'm, I'm doing all this. And yet they're really not. They don't right. really understand what's happening. Right. I, I do think it's an area that will continue to transform in grocery retail. I think that you know, defining who the customer is and how intimately you want to know them and, 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 and wanting to gain their trust. Because at the end of the day, the share of wallet you get is how it comes from how much they trust you yep. and, and how satisfied they are with, with both the products that you sell them, the freshness of those products, the supply chain that they come from, knowing that if there is a product recall, I will trust this company to react and to keep me safe. I mean, you know, the grocery industry is, you know, it's regulated for a reason by the USDA and other regulatory bodies because, you know, food contamination can kill just like, you know, in the medical device world, you know, misuse of a medical instrument can cause irreparable damage as well. And, and so I think customers have to trust you. They have to trust that you're going to do the right thing and that you um, are selling them products that you know will be good for them. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That, that brings me to an interesting point, which is that what you know about the customer has to somehow be disseminated to other parts of the organization that can use them and leverage them, right? It's not just about right. marketing. It's not just about promotion and prices and coupons. Right. It has to find its way out to several organizations. So how do you, how do you see that Happening. I mean, what role does an internal IT organization have to play in making sure that kind of dissemination of information is happening? Yeah. So when you think about it, it you know, it's data, data, data. <laughs> you know, bad data in, bad data out, good data in, good data. So it goes all the way back to how do you, how do you design the technology products and solutions that are implemented across the organization to capture the customer attributes, just like you would capture product attributes that you need in order to have that consistent communication with the customer, especially when it might be an urgent kind of nature, whether that's a recall or something else. And, you know, everybody has to think about it that way. They've got to think about, you can't, you can't have systems that aren't reliable to provide good data, you know, and that that's the hardest part of any IT organization is data quality. I, I mean, just think about enterprise data strategies and, you know, think about AI and think about everything else downstream that is dependent on data. If you don't have those solutions designed up front, in a way that is going to provide the data that's needed, you've got to have that holistic view, or you're going to end up with these massive data gaps, yeah. and you know then you'll have no way to capture it. So, and that isn't there, and completely agree with all that. And isn't there even more to that? You know, once you've got good quality data, and you're driving insights from that, analytics from that, et cetera, but it seems like there's almost an educational component in other areas of the company to help them understand what does this data mean? How, oh, should, yeah. how should I be looking at this? How do I use this in what I do? 
Yeah, no, no question. And, and for most grocery retails for specifically, you know, that is the biggest challenge and that I have heard in the conversations, we've had an enterprise data um, working group at, through FMI for the last 12 months and focused on enterprise data strategy and, and artificial intelligence and how do grocery retailers uh, learn to adopt those technologies and capabilities to help transform their business and the relationship with their customer. And, you know, we talk a lot about the fact that it's got to be broader than the IT organization that understands, understands the technology and the power of the technology. You've got to have CEOs that understand it as well, you know, in order to support it and drive it and fund it. And I remember I was at a, a meeting, it was when I was on the CIO Council for Kroger, and we were in Chicago with FMI, and we had, it was a, a one of the CEO meetings, maybe it was midwinter, it was in Chicago, and we had these roundtables with one of us, somebody, somebody from each of the, um, from the CIO Council at a table with the CEOs, so we each had like eight CEOs at our table, and, you know, just explaining what some of this technology is like we spent a lot of time on blockchain we spent a lot of time on ai we spent a lot of time just you know one ceo just goes i don't even know what it is how am i supposed to support it in the investment if i don't know what it is and how it works and why it matters so to your point there needs to be that's why one of the reasons after singularity university partnered with some of the providers and some of the instructors out there to come in and talk about these areas, um, whether it is supply chain, transportation, um, you know, all of these major kind of global grand challenges is what Singularity University calls it and why they matter. And then what are the technologies that are in development and currently disrupting and, and, and being um, innovated to actually solve some of these problems because the executives need to know. And you have to, you've got to have a CIO, you've got to have technology leaders that are willing to say, you know, let's help them learn. Yeah. It's part of our job. It's part of our role to help the organization on that learning journey. Yeah. And, and that sort of ties into, you know, where, where that leads, I think, is to the bigger challenge around how can companies, you know, retailers in particular, innovate faster. You know, that is the never-ending challenge, right? I think I see a lot of, and again, you know, I look at the top 10 retailers. You talk to their C-level execs, you know, the CEOs, they to a fairly good degree, I think, understand what's happening around tech and and innovation and transformation and what's happening, but where they sort of run into the wall is, okay, I understand maybe where we have to go, but I don't know how to transform what we're doing today to get from here to there. Right. I mean, and that that's the reason why, you know, so many of these transformations and digital transformations that happen, happen in a silo side by side to the legacy world. And it's very hard to, it, you know, the heavy lifting of the transformation is transforming the legacy environment 
to yeah. actually be nimble enough and capable enough and at a speed that matters to keep up with the new digital part of the world that exists. And a lot of these retailers have created two worlds where you know, there's a digital organization and there's a legacy IT organization. Yeah. And it's only when you can bring it all together to make it work seamlessly for the customer that, that it actually will return on the investment. Because if it continues to be siloed and clunky and the customer is not having a good experience trying to navigate between the two worlds that they shop in, whether it's the online world or the in-store world, um, you're not going to get from that investment what you want. You've got to have an understanding of how do you, how do, you do, the, do all of it. And it, it's not easy. I mean, I think it's actually, you know, you have the smaller, I think smaller grocery retailers, it would be easier, but then it's also, they have to have the budget and the funding right. and, and the ability to invest. And then for the really big ones, it's hard just because they're really big. Yeah. Yeah. But. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, we, we know a lot of situations where retailers would rather ask us to do something innovative than ask their internal IT teams because they feel that it's easier for us to get it done than ever get it done through their internal IT teams, right? And right. to me, that, that's a long-term issue because, you know, you can't keep going like that, right? It's great to have innovation partners, but at some point, you got to have somebody internally who owns, who owns that piece, right? Right, right. And it, I mean, it's a challenge because when you think about some of the big retailers who have been test and learn or experimenting in stores and taking technology through its paces, whether it's robotics at Walmart or just, you know, go down the list of things that have been tried. How many of those have actually been implemented? Yeah. <laughs> Not very right. many. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. and the reason why, and it's because it's really expensive and the return on investment because it, it has to be about the customer. I mean, operational efficiency is one way to get a return on investment, but that can interfere with the customer experience and finding that balance between operational efficiency, customer experience, seamless experience across the total footprint of what the retailer represents for me. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And I think it's especially hard in grocery. I think there are other parts of retail where it's easier you know, other, you know, whether it's apparel or, you know, those kinds of things. I think there are, there are parts in the retail world that it's, it's an easier challenge, but in grocery, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah clearly the, the, the frequency of trips, the number of items that they stock. I mean, it's just the, there are these challenges that don't exist in other retail. I mean, I go to my shoe store to buy shoes maybe twice a year as right. opposed to, I go to the grocery store a hundred times a year. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, and, and a lot of these big retailers, you know, are seeing 10, 12 million customers a day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's an incredibly dynamic, high velocity uh, business that, that is very unique. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a fascinating industry. I mean, obviously we keep talking about this, the, the fact that this is an industry where the first party data itself tells you so much about the customer without needing any real third party data, right? Right. And you barely need to know what somebody's doing on Facebook or Netflix or Google to figure out what their preferences are and what their habits are when they're going to come back to your store next. 
And I think, you know, we, we also talk about retailers who are digital native have built up infrastructure and systems to process this data, to get the insights on a regular basis. Right. And, you know, all these legacy systems, the point of sale systems, which would truncate the product description to 32 characters and, you know, hence your backend item files are all truncated and right. meaningless. And you don't think of that as challenges, but when you actually come down to the implementation details, this is really what gets you bogged down because you can't scale solutions. Right. And scalability is the key, especially for the big, the big retailers. Yeah. You know, it is scale you know is especially at a retailer if it's kroger or target or walmart when you think about the number of customers they serve a day the number of products they sell on their shelves or on online in in combination and you and you look at that from a data management perspective and having solutions that can scale to even manage that data load is a challenge yeah yeah yeah. So uh, one more area I'd like to touch on, and I know Shaker, we're probably getting close on the clock here, but and now one of the things I've been really focused on recently is this whole notion of business process automation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as AI continues to grow and, and pop up, you know, uh, in a growing number of places, uh, it, it's only feeding this business process automation capability. Things like marketing, you know, some of the things like Birdseye does, you know, other solutions, other decisions that are made across the retail industry every day lend themselves to this. What I encounter is I, I don't think a lot of retail executives truly understand or appreciate the power of this and, and where this goes and how quickly it may get there. So I love given your experience across a lot of different areas, your sort of perspective on that. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting uh, because I think in the traditional business processes where you've had, you know, business process automation or robotic process automation, you know, it works really well. And it's, it's pretty commonplace in places like accounts receivable, accounts payable, or you know, HR in the hiring space where it's becoming more and more prevalent or in customer support where you're automating a lot of the interaction with the customer and creating a way to take that rep out of the, out of the process. Um, those things are pretty traditional uses. And I think there's a, a lot of information and data and examples of where it's very successful where it drives process efficiency, you know, helps with overall cost reduction and those kinds of things. The place where, where I think the benefit is a bigger bang, not you know, those kind of transactional repeatable happens the same way every day kind of process. You know, the, the processes where there's a huge opportunity are the ones that are really complex. And when you get into really complex processes, all of a sudden process automation becomes really messy and it can become really expensive as well because you can't necessarily create an automated response for every potential scenario that might happen in a really complex process. And and so it it gets down to how, how do I scale automation in in more robust complex operational processes i mean even think about 
how could you automate inventory management in you know the back room of a store with visioning systems with those kinds of uh, capabilities yep. and and how do you do that when to your point the look shape location of where product is located on any given day at any given moment changes right and so as you're teaching an ai how to learn this is where i keep my dairy you know all of a sudden i've got something missing there i'm you know using photo you know visioning systems in the back room to understand where a product is coming in and where it's sitting and where it goes you can train those systems if the operation's consistent but yeah. when every single store is different and every single back room is different and you know every store manager is different yeah. it becomes almost impossible yeah so shaker we need I, I, truly intelligent machines that's what it is right we don't we need <laughs> people like you know and i you know there's uh, there's a recent book that i read which uh, i found fascinating called the thousand brain theory by jeff hawkins the guy who invented the palm pilot right and he's got a very fascinating uh, approach to thinking about how the brain actually learns now, uh, which might be clue into how to tr build truly intelligent machines. Uh, and if you ever ever have a chance, you should you should read that book. I think you'll enjoy it. But, I, I I bet I will. Yeah, Gary. But uh, as I predicted, this is uh, one of those warp speed conversations where you don't know where the time went. So uh, it's been fascinating, and I, I mean, I would love to chat with you for another hour. I'm sure uh, we can get you back for another episode to discuss many things that I wanted to ask you questions on. But Gary, you have any thoughts here before uh, we? No, I I think Annette, again, thank you for being with us today. And as Shaker just mentioned, I would. Yeah, I think we would both love to get you back on uh, another uh, episode here sometime in the not too far future and continue this discussion because there's there's a lot of things we just ran out of time to uh, to get to today. Yeah, 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 thank you both for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm more than happy to come back and spend more oh, time. That is terrific because I think there's a lot of things that I got from this, right? So we're talking about, you know, organizational transformation, you know, when you when talking about resilience and persistence in terms of pursuing a strategy, talking about how do you grow innovation internally into your systems? How do you make sure data is going to all parts of your organization? So it's not siloed in once once i mean there's many things here to pick apart that we can unpack i'm sure in, in succeeding episodes but thank you so much for your time this has been fantastic and guys you know I, i'm sure you guys enjoyed this uh episode if you have any questions we'd love to get a net back or please shoot us an email the retail purchase we'll make sure to ask annette and uh you folks out there have a have a wonderful time thanks for listening and uh, tune back in again for another episode next week Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.